Thank you very much. It's a delight to be here, to be with you. Many of you ask, uh, where are you from? You don't talk like us. I'm from Mississippi. Now, one time when I said that, they thought I lived in the river. They said, you live in the Mississippi River? I said, no, there's a state called Mississippi, and it's right by our state. And uh, we are delighted to be here, to be here at Teesside and to worship with you today. Such great worship. Uh, super band. Keith, you did a great job. Thank you so much for uh, leading us in worship. Well, I guess you've noticed something about Maddie. He has kind of a light uh, step. He's a fortnight from being married. You can see the joy in his eyes. You can see just his, his sparkle that he has and all the excitement that he has. Because within two weeks, he's a marked man. I mean, it's just like, it's over. So for any of you that like to give him some wisdom these next two weeks, please do so. Because he's going to need a lot of it. Because as we, we talk about in marriage, mostly when I do a wedding in the United States, when we finish and they kiss, I normally break out into a song. Another one bites the dust. And that's about it, right? And that's about the way it's going to be. The blessings upon you, Maddie, and your marriage and your ministry here. I had quite an interesting morning. I was being driven to the church, and uh, my driver had never been here. So he looked, uh, I don't know where we were, because I don't know where I am, all right? So but anyway, he said, look at, there's, there's the church. And there was a steeple there I'd never seen before when I came to your church. And so he stops, and he gets ready to let us off. Well, it's not this church. <laughs> it's another church, you know? And I'm just thinking, how interesting it would have been, because we kind of caught it right before he left us, because he was going to his church. And I thought, how interesting it would have been that this Yankee would have been out there, you know? And, I, and everybody would say, well, hi, how are you? And I wouldn't know you, because I had met you. And I thought maybe you might have been them, you see? And they wouldn't have said... Well, what are you? I said, well, I'm here to preach. And they said, there's some Yankee, crazy Yankee outside thinking he's going to preach at our church today. And I would have been at the wrong place. But uh, we got here and we're delighted. If you have a Bible, you're going to find the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. You've started a series in this book. So we're in chapter two. We're only looking at two verses of scripture. And out of Nehemiah, it is a super, super, super book. How we grow in our Christian walk and how we learn about God. But before we read the text, let me just say something to you so that you'll understand. There are only 169 shopping days till Christmas. Okay? I just want you to know that. That there's only 169 days before Christmas is here. The reason I'm saying that is that Jess wanted me to tell Maddie that because he's all caught up in the marriage, he might forget Christmas. Not really. The reason why I remind you that is that in my house, and I guess ever since I could remember, I would watch on the television the Christmas Carol. It would always have a meaning to me. It, it always, man, just kind of got me in the Christmas spirit of the Christmas Carol. If you read anything about Charles Dickens' life, 
He was successful, and then he was unsuccessful. In fact, right before the Christmas Carol was published, he was ready to claim bankruptcy. He really had no money at all. His popularity had gotten up this high and had swooned down low, so low, that it was really difficult to sell even a book. But in his heart, he had this story that he believed in about Ebenezer Scrooge. And he believed in it so strongly that he felt like, man, I've got to get this thing written and get it published. Well, as he was writing it and getting close to the publishing, he went to his publishers and he laid out the format. Here's a plot. Here's a story. Here's how it's going to end. And I want you to see what I see. And I see something marvelous in this story. And I believe in the message. And the publisher said, we're not going to publish it. And of course, his first thing was, why? And they said, well, because your sales are down. We're not going to waste money investing in printing this. And then all of a sudden, it's a flop. We're not going to lose money. So he went away. And you can imagine the rejection in his life and his heart. He's walking out the door. I'm almost bankrupt. I have very little to my name. My success has waned. And all of a sudden, here's a story that I believe in so strongly. What did I do? So he decided, while he was walking away from his publisher, I'm going to do all that it takes to publish this myself. So on December the 19th, 1843, he published and started selling the first copies. December the 19th. 1843. By Christmas Eve, he had sold 6,000 copies. By May of 1844, it was in its seventh edition of printing. Because he believed in the story. And he believed in the story so strong that he wanted to get it across. Nehemiah believed in a story so strongly, he said, i got to get it across. Did he have obstacles? For sure. In your Bible, in chapter 1, verse 1, you're going to find there is um, a day, a month of their year that they, they talk about. It's the month of Kislev. Kislev. Then look in chapter 2, verse 1, you're going to find and it's the month of Nisan. You probably are not very familiar with the Hebrew calendar. But that's basically four months. So after four months, Nehemiah said, this is what God wants me to do. I don't have a choice. It wasn't one of those in-the-moment decisions. It wasn't overnight. It was like after prayer, after a lot of preparation, then Nehemiah has this calling. What's the calling? Well, he's a public servant. He's not a preacher. He's not an evangelist. He's not a teacher. He works for the government. That's his job. It's a pretty good job. In fact, it's a great job. He works for the king. 
And he has everything that he wants because he's even, he's even got entrance to the king anytime he wants to. And so in chapter 2, it's our text today, verse 17. He's come to Jerusalem. Why? Because he believed in the story. And he wanted to get it done. So then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Talking to the people of Jews, Jewish people, people of Jerusalem. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. We will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said. So then they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Well, here we are in your church on this Sunday in July. And we look around and we say, God, what do you want us to do? God says, I want you to know my plans. I want you to dream with me. I want you to have my vision. See, the Bible says, without a vision, people perish. So today I want to ask you this question. What is God's vision for you? Seriously, have you ever thought about that? What does God want you? Now, let's leap forward. What's God's vision for this church? You're here. You're part of it because you're attending today. What is God's vision for you? What is God's vision for this church? Because see, if you don't grab a hold of it, you won't know the story and you won't believe in it and you won't get it done. So, let's talk about a couple of things. First of all, catching God's vision. And that's what Nehemiah did. He caught it and then he wanted to share it. Once he shared it, he wanted them to catch it. Because once they caught it, then he realized, well, you know what? We're for the Lord and great things are going to happen. But here's the problem. The problem is that when he finally decides, this is what he needs to do. And he goes to the king and he asks the king permission to go back home to have a leave of absence. The king, first of all, says, as most government people would say, how long are you going to be gone? He says, I don't really know. But I do know i got to do this. i got to go back and rebuild the wall. i got to help my people because everything's been destroyed and we've got to get back to doing what God wants us to do. So when he gets there, he does a little bit of an examination of the, of the territory. And you'll read that in the first part of chapter 2. And as he looks over everything, it's desolate. Everything's there. So he gets to the people and he gathers them together and wants to talk to them. Now here's the deal. The deal is this. When he says... There's something that needs to be done. And you know what their response is? We've been like this for a hundred years. Why should we change now? Or they might have said this. I mean, it isn't bothering me. Why is it bothering you? I'm perfectly happy the way it is. Just completely happy the way it is. We have an expression in America, in our churches, when you try to do something new, that is, the old staid people in the church, this is what they say. We've never done it that way before. And so why should we do it now like that? Well, here's Nehemiah with this vision in his mind, and this vision in his mind, he said, I want you to catch the vision. Why? Because this is not a quick fix. It's been like that for a hundred years. Now in your life, you may have been up in the same rut for a long, long time. And God says, will you catch the vision? 
I don't know. I pretty well like the way the things are. Status quo is fine with me. God says, no, wait a minute. This is not a quick fix. This is an everlasting fix. This is a fix that's a lifetime journey. And I want you to be a part of that. How old is this church? Why? It's old. What's the vision for the church? What does God want us to do? I don't know. I'm just new here. I'm not sure about all that. I mean, you're asking about, no, it's not a quick fix. If this didn't happen overnight for you getting here, it was in God's plans for sure. Well, what are you about to do? Well, when, when Nehemiah comes and he says, you know, we got to do some things. If you'd figure out it's not a quick fix, then what do you do? You start blaming people. I don't know if you people in Great Britain do this. We do a lot in America. We do the blame game. Have you ever do the blame game here? It was his fault. She did that. That wasn't me. That happened a long time before I was here. And so we do the blame game. Well, they could have blamed a lot of things when Nehemiah came to them and said, here's the vision of the Lord that he's given to me. I want to share with you and I want you to buy into it. I want you to be a part of it. I don't know. I wasn't here. I didn't cause this. I mean, gee whiz, I'm just trying to survive. So until you catch the vision of God, what happens? Nothing's going to change. It's going to still be the status quo. Until you understand that God has a plan for you and you can identify with that, then you're going to say, my goodness, God is a wonderful God. You see, the question wasn't about bricks. It was about people's hearts. It's not about what you can do in the building here or this mortar and, 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 and joists that are here and the stone that's put together. It's about your heart. There's some people here who come that are very insecure. There's some people here who have been beaten down. There's some people here who have gone through some really hard times. But do you understand God has a vision for you? He has a vision for this church. And He wants you to be a part of that. And He's inviting you to catch the vision. Secondly, you find in the text, not only the vision, but also the confidence in God's Word. What does God do? God says, this is what I want you to do. And how I want you to live. So what I want you to do is I want you to look at the screen and a couple of verses of Scripture in Isaiah. We won't won't turn there. I will. But I want you to look at it. And I want you to see what God said. Because you see, God's Word is uh, unbelievable. In uh, Isaiah chapter 44, if you want to write it down, you can, and look at it later on and see what all God has. Verse 24 of Isaiah 44. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer who formed you in the womb, I am the Lord, who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread the earth by myself. Verse 26. Who carries out the words of His servants, fulfills the predictions of His messengers. What does he do? He fulfills whatever he sent the prophets to speak about. Who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited. The towns of Judah, they shall be built. And notice what he says. And on the ruins, I will restore them. That's the walls that are broken down. Who says to the water deep, be dry and I will drop your streams. Who says of Cyrus, that's the king of Persia, who was actually Nehemiah's boss. 
He is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And the temple will let its foundations rise and be laid. Now listen to me. God said that 200 years before Nehemiah came. 200 years. You see, if we don't rely upon God's word, we're never going to do the vision that he gives us once we've caught it. And if God's word is so strong and so powerful and that it is real in our lives, we realize the promises. What did he say? He says he makes everything the prophets say come true. Not only that, but he says, guess what? You're going to relay the bricks. You're going to rebuild the walls. The temple is going to be rebuilt. Everything is going to take place. And God made this promise 200 years before Nehemiah even came to Jerusalem. That's how powerful his word is. What about you? The Bible says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. There's nothing about you that God has not known from the very beginning. His plan upon your life is outstanding. Do you realize that? Now, when was that written? Thousands of years ago. About you. And about you. And about me. Within that, I realize that I am a creature that God has just unbelievably made to give Him glory. Then let's look at the church. I mean, this church, God had His plans long before there was an idea of saying, let's turn this building into a church that's active and vibrant. And then He brought you in here, and He brought you in here, which all of a sudden says... Christ is the head, you are the body. Long before you even knew it. I mean, how many of you knew 10 years ago you'd be here today? None of you. None of you. But he did. He did. So when you start believing in God's word, you realize that he's the head, we're the body. Some of you are fingers, some of you are are toes, some of you are feet. We all have responsibility to bring the body together. And that's the way God does. Listen, when David was out to feed his brothers, because his dad sent him on to Aaron, and he came upon this huge giant named Goliath, you'll find on the screen in Second Samuel, First uh, Samuel. We get that verse there? I want them to read that. David comes, and when he comes, you realize the obstacle is so big that all the people who are in the army are scared to death. So David says this. He asked the man standing near him this question. What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? Why? Because Israel is disgraced. Why? Because it's pagan. It's got everybody cowering. So what's going to happen? And who is the circumcised, uncircumcised Philistines that he should even defy? Who is he who has the audacity to say, I'm bigger than God? Now, David was just a teenager. And God says, listen, this is my word. And David say, if you don't have a reason to fight, then you don't have any reason to be here. We're here for a purpose. We're here for a purpose. Not just take up space, breathe air. And give out some carbon dioxide that some plants can live. We're here for the reason of God. And Nehemiah is trying to say these people less understand. That once we understand the vision of God. And we understand that the word of God is so strong. He's not going to back up from what he's promised us. Great things are going to happen. 
So lastly, we look at the idea of the cooperation of God's people. Here's something I want you to see if you do have your Bibles. It talks about in verse 17, because we'll no longer be in disgrace. That word disgrace in the Hebrew means this. You've embarrassed God. You've done something to God that has made Him embarrassed because of your lack of faith. So what does Nehemiah say? He said, let's quit disgracing God. Quit disgracing God in your own life. Not giving Him your all. Quit disgracing God in this church. Great things He has done. Greater things will He do. So what did Nehemiah do? What did Nehemiah said, all right, come on, join me. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a holiday on the Sea of Galilee. Weekend. No. He didn't promise anything. He didn't bribe anybody. He said, this is the Lord's work. Come join me. Come join me. Now remember, Nehemiah couldn't do it by himself. Maddie can't do it by himself. Mike can't do it by himself. Keith can't do it by himself. It takes us all. Do the will of God. I'm not here because of myself. I'm here because thousands of others before me. I love on your two-pound coin the statement you have engraved on the edge from Isaac Newton. Up on their shoulders we stand. You see, we draw from each other. And we're able to do great things for our Lord and God. Let's bow together. Father, be with us, we ask. Help us to know your will. And Father, speak to us, even as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.